0: All right, as, as we were singing that, there are two ways to sing, it is well with my soul, or it is swell with my soul. I guess it depends on the circumstances. And it is swell with our soul because we worship the living God. Uh, one of our elders, uh, Barbara Osica, has written a uh, monday Thursday drama. And we have 10 weeks until Holy Week, the first week of April, and she would love to have our con- members of our congregation uh, participate in putting on that drama. I think it'd be a wonderful thing for our Monday Thursday service. Uh, we need, if you're a thespian type, certainly we need you. If you're more of a clod like me, there are parts for clods, right? And uh, so Barbara, would you stand up so people can see you? This is our thespian chief. And uh, she will be in Miller Hall uh, for coffee and donuts. So there's another incentive to go over and have coffee and donuts. And, and if you're interested in, in doing a part, there are some longer parts, there's some short parts. We need people to help with props, that kind of stuff. So uh, we'd really like to do this if we can. And uh, so uh, we're, we're, uh, I think it would be a wonderful thing. So see Barbara in Miller Hall following the service. And go there anyway, even if you're not a thespian type, just to get coffee and donuts. And uh, we would love to see you there. In 1923, at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, nine of the world's most successful financiers were gathered to address a youth congress. They were the president of the largest steel company in the United States president of the largest utility company in the United States, president of the largest gas company in the United States, the world's greatest wheat speculator, president of the U.S. Stock Exchange, a member of the United States president's cabinet, the world's most successful stockbroker, president of the world's largest monopoly, and president of the Bank of International Trade. They were helping these young people find the path to security, satisfaction, and significance. And the path they were presenting was wealth. And the way you earn great wealth is to build a great institution or accomplish great things with your life. And that will make you significant and secure and happy. Well, Jesus had a different approach to finding security and satisfaction and significance. Not that there's any problem with making great wealth or being greatly successful or building great institutions. But we'll see whether those kinds of activities work? Does great wealth, according to Jesus, provide security, satisfaction, and significance? Jesus addressed this topic in a parable found in Luke chapter 12, and it's uh, verses 16 through twenty. And I would like you, if you have your phone, Bible, or something to read along. This is a a very simple but a very profound parable. Jesus told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he had some good news. Great crop, bumper crop, all kind of great, great, man, terrific. But then he had a problem. I got no place to store all this stuff. I have no place to store my crops. Well, then he had a solution. He said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. I mean, no thought to sharing it with someone else. I've got more than I know what to do with. I'm frustrated so I will tear down what I have and build bigger ones so that I can hoard more grain. That was his solution. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain uh, laid up for many years. You're secure. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. You're satisfied. Let's gather together and celebrate how successful I am. I am significant. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So you have it all planned out. You have it all laid out. Life is good. You're secure. You're satisfied. You're significant. But tonight it's all over. Sort of a chapter from Ecclesiastes. Where Solomon wrote, like the fool, the wise, too, must die. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Now, there's a statement in there that is a key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. Three different times in that short passage, Solomon said, under the sun. And he also uh, talked about that in the introduction. Ecclesiastes is a description of what life is like this side of the sun. If you have nothing on the other side of the sun, if you don't believe that there is a God on the other side of the sun, and all you can think about is here and now, time, temporality, I'm going to get it all now, and you have no sense, no awareness, no connection with what is on the other side of the sun, life feels different than for those who know God and have a higher calling, and have a more noble sense of what life is all about. It's not about tearing down your barns and building bigger ones so we can hoard more and more. In fact, Jesus made a comment after he told his parable. He finished the parable, but God said to this farmer McGreed, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus nailed the problem. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So, the problem isn't what we have, the problem is what we lack. See, Jesus told this parable for a very specific reason. We see in the preceding, by the way, anytime time you read a parable, you have to put it in its context and ask, why did Jesus tell this parable? What's he doing with this parable? Now, if you read the preceding context, chapter 12, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus <coughs> is preaching to the crowds. <coughs> it says, meanwhile, verse 1 of chapter 12, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And he's giving this enormous, beautiful truth about God's care for us and, and about how we're responsible to God. And he's kind of scraping the Milky Way with this beautiful theology, and he's going on with this great sermon. And someone in the crowd said to him, interrupted him in his teaching, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, man. That's what it says. Anthropos. Man, who made me a judge between you, and I'm paraphrasing Jesus, and your dumb brother. Here I am, I'm teaching this profound truth, and all you can think about is your dumb inheritance? You interrupted me, you brought me from this... Heavenly thing, crashing down to earth to talk about that? Is that what you're all about? Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Wow. Hear the language? Beware and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It's a beautiful pleonexia. Sounds like a disease, doesn't it? I got pleonexia. Jesus says, don't get pleonexia. It's a dangerous disease, but a lot of fe- people have it. And it's not just the wealthy. Jeanette and I spent most of our adult life poor. We were students. And we were greedy. We wanted more. And we had to fight it all the time, just like some of you, or a lot of you, or most of you. I won't say all of you. I think maybe a few real holy folks out there. But most of us struggle with this thing. Pleonexia is the insatiableness, avarice, covetousness, desire for more. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller one time, hey, you're the richest man in the world. Is there anything you want? He said, yeah. They said, wow, what could the richest man in the world want? He said, more. More. No matter how much I have, it's not enough. Because there's some insatiable thing Greed runs in pretty rough company. In Romans 128, 129, Paul wrote, they have become these people who have turned their back on God. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. You know them by the company you keep. And greed keeps this kind of company. Every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Because it leads us to do things that we might not otherwise do. Some things that we don't really want to do. Some things that we're sorry we did. And we're studying our Tuesday morning study. We're studying the book of Amos. And Amos' whole argument against Israel, or God's argument, God's grief with Israel is greed. That the rich and the powerful were, 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 were beating up on the poor and taxing them and giving them unfair uh, judgments in court to get more money out of them. So greed could be a very, very dangerous thing. But the danger is not in having or the extent of having or the desire to have. The danger is the compulsion to have more and to do whatever I have to do to get it which leaves a lot of us who do want more and have sort of a desire, a dream, a wish to have more. But we say, but there are boundaries. There are barriers I won't step over to get more. I have an ethic, I have a morality, I have a standard that I will not violate to get more. So it comes in, in different forms, doesn't it? Sometimes we are consumed with it. Sometimes we worry about it. Sometimes we feel less than others because I don't dress like that or drive that car or live in that neighborhood. I feel very insignificant. I'm really dissatisfied with my life. What a bummer. And there are no bounds on that. Rockefeller said, I'd like to have more. The danger exists when the need to have overrides everything else. I'm consumed with it. I can't stop thinking about it. Or the need arises and the danger exists when we expect things to accomplish what only God can accomplish. When we substitute stuff for the Savior. When our relationship to things and our need, our desire to have things becomes our source of significance, of security, of satisfaction. Greed leads us to seek security with substitutes for God's promise of provision. And that's what Jesus said in verses 23 through 30, 22 through 34. Following the parable, he said, Here's why I'm so so strong on beware and be on your guard against every kind, every form of greed, whether it's just a preoccupation, a source of dissatisfaction, a source of insecurity, a source of failure that you don't have more, whether it just is that and it preoccupies you, or whether you're willing to go and rip somebody off, you're willing to do anything it takes to get more. Every form of greed. Beware and be on your guard against it. Because greed leads us to seek security with substitutes for God's promise of provision. Greed leads us to seek satisfaction with substitutes for God's person, verses 35 through 40. Greed leads us to seek satisfaction with substitutes for God's person. God said, I want you to love me more than you love anything else. I want your relationship with me, he said to be the source of your greatest satisfaction. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you love your stuff more than you love me, that's a problem. And greed leads us to seek significance with substitutes for God's purpose for our lives. Verses 41 through 48. Let me give that again. I would urge you, I would encourage you to go home and read this Luke chapter 12. It's a crucial chapter. It gets down at the guts of life. This is meat and potatoes. And the tragedy was, Jesus was teaching us such profound truth in this early part of this chapter. And this clown interrupted him with, Hey, I got a bigger deal than that. And Jesus said, You dolt. Man, who made, come on. But since we're on the topic, let me talk about this thing that you just brought up, because it's an important topic, it's an important issue. And what Jesus did with this parable and with this teaching following it, talking about security, satisfaction, satisfaction, and significance, Jesus spoke to the cause of greed, not the effect. Greed is dangerous, but he dreamt he addressed the symptoms by identifying the disease. The issue isn't greed per se. Look at chapter 12, verse 21 again. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The problem isn't what we have things the problem is what we don't have we can be rich with material and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that unless it gets out of hand it becomes greed what's wrong is with when we are not rich toward God because if we're not rich toward God we start depending on our stuff to give us security satisfaction and significance So what's the solution? Pretty simple. (laughs) Find security by cultivating trust in God's promise of provision. Security doesn't come from tearing down our barns and building bigger ones and storing up goods for many years to come. Security comes by knowing and trusting God. Jeanette and I would be able to put a little bit of retirement money away. But we both said over and over again, thank you, Lord, for that, but never let us depend on it. You have always been, and we pray you will always be our source of security. If God came and took it away like that, would we jump off a building? we blow our brains out? No, we'd say, thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to test you to provide. I could tell you story after story after story of our years in school when God provided and we had no idea where it was going to come from. That taught us very important lessons. It taught us that our security comes from God. Look what he said here in verses, uh, well, Lord, let me just uh, take you through this. Uh, Verse Uh, Chapter 12, verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Verse 25, Uh, uh, the the, uh, birds don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And then he says, consider the wild, how the wildflowers grow. He said, even Solomon in all his splendor was not as beautiful as one of these flowers. <coughs> if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, why should you worry? O oh, you of little faith, do not worry. Verse 29. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. Verse 31, your father knows what you need. So seek his kingdom first, and these things will be given to you as well. Five different times. He said, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Your father knows what you need, and your father will give it to you. Look how he feeds the birds. Look how he clothes the flowers. And you're worried about food and clothing? In in Matthew's rendition of this, he says, is not life more than food and the body than clothing? A lot of people would say no. Life isn't more than food and clothing and homes and better homes and gardens. Jesus said, life has to be more than that. Or you'll end up seeking security with substitutes for God's promise of provision. Jesus said, don't don't get caught in that trap of saying, I am totally responsible for my security. Now, the book of Proverbs, Jesus' teaching, tells us to be industrious, to be good stewards of our time, and, and the gifts he gives us. This is not calling on us to be dolts, but it is saying, no matter how much you have, never ultimately trust it. Because doing so robs you of the incredible privilege of saying my ultimate trust is in the God who says do not fear, do not worry, do not be anxious. Your Father knows what you need. He feeds the birds, He clothes the flowers and He will take care of you because you're worth more to Him than the birds and the flowers. The second solution is to find satisfaction by cultivating an intimate relationship with God's person. An intimate relationship with Jesus Christ himself. He came as one of us so we could understand him and relate to him. And that's what he wants is a personal, one-on-one, intimate relationship with you. I've been reading a book, or I read it a while ago, by Ronald Rollheiser, talking about loneliness. And a number of times in there, he quotes St. Augustine, who says that God created us for himself, and until we find rest with God, we will not find rest. We will not find rest. We will not find peace. We will not find satisfaction until we find satisfaction with God. And that's what Jesus said here in these verses uh, 35 through 40, is that we must depend on our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God, to find satisfaction. The heart will be lonely. The heart will be searching. The heart will not find peace. The heart will not settle into satisfaction until it finds peace with the God who created you to have a peaceful relationship with him. You can't buy enough junk to fill an empty life the only thing that will fill an empty life is a personal relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ he talked in these verses 35 through 40 uh, he he talked about having uh, looking for the for for Jesus return Uh, look at verses 35 and 36 be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Then in verse 40, he says, I got these new glasses, they don't work very well. <laughs> it happens when you get old. Of course, I know nobody knows about that. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. What he's saying is the, 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 the great longing of our life should be to meet our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. As it says in the book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. Are there any times in life when we just say, Lord, I love you. I long to see you. I find satisfaction in being loved by you and by loving you. Don't ever try to let stuff replace Jesus Christ is the central focus of life. Nothing will satisfy like He satisfied. And greed leads us to seek significance or substitutes for God's purpose. In verses uh, 41 through 48, look at verses 42 and 44. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. He's saying, I've given you a task. I've given you a means of significance. And it's serving me. It's doing what I've called you to do. And the only ultimate source of significance is that I am being who God wants me to be. And I'm doing what God has called me to do. And Jesus is saying the great danger is that we will f- try to find security, satisfaction, and significance. I was talking with Sherry Bates this morning, our, our children's uh, minister. And, and she was telling me that yesterday, two women who she and Terry took in when they were, uh, well, 16 years ago. One was 8 years old, the other one was 13 years old. And now 16 years later, these two young women came and visited them. They took them, in. they were at-risk children. They took them into their home. They provided a place for them. And 16 years later, Sherry's telling me what a thrill, what a sense of satisfaction and significance she found, she and Terry found, with having the girls came back. And I was telling her about some other students who come back, and I was last weekend, that's where I was, with one of my former students, two of my former students, invested life in. And the significance is knowing that God is using you for something bigger than yourself. Greed will never do that for you. Greed will never do that for you. I have a friend named David. I don't give you his last name. He's kind of a crazy guy. David was in land development in Austin, Texas in the 80s when Austin was booming. He was making money by the truckload. And somebody invited him to one of our men's, oh, it was our men's retreat, One of our men's retreats. And he came and Met Jesus, told him about Jesus, and he became a committed Christian, and then he met this guy who was starting a men's ministry, starting a new ministry. They needed a lot of money to get this thing going. Well, David bankrolled him, and it took a lot of David's money. We were joking, uh, Mike and David and I, the guy, the minister, and I were talking one night, and, and, and David said, do you know how rich I'd be if I never met you? And so we were laughing about that, how much money, more money he would have. And so we talked and laughed and joked about that and some other things. And then David got very sober. He says, I don't know how rich I'd be if I hadn't met you. But I know how poor I was before I met Jesus. And see, David learned what Jesus is talking to us about here. David still had more money than he knew what to do with. No, it's not true. David had more money than he could spend. But David knew what to do with the excess. He didn't tear down his barns and build bigger ones. He didn't sell his nice home and build a bigger one. He didn't sell his car and buy a bigger one to find security, satisfaction, and significance. He gave it away. He sensed that God wanted him to participate in these various ministries. And greed gave way to love. And that beautiful statement, you know how rich I would be if I wasn't giving money away? But you know how poor I was? Before I met Jesus. Never let stuff take the place of God in our life.
1: We're going to sing, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me. And don't think of it as just a song. I want you to sing it this morning as a prayer from the bottom of your heart. Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh.
0: Beware and be on your guard against that terrible disease called plex, plexonia, plexonia. The danger isn't in having too much. The danger isn't that you have too much. The danger is that you, because you have too much, you have too little of what you absolutely need. Woe to the person who is rich in the world's goods, but is poor in their relationship with God. Giving you homework this week. The old professor's at it again. Meditate your way through Luke 12. This is so foundational to life. Read it, pray over it, meditate on it. If you want the outline, email me, I'll send it to you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the possibilities of finding security and significance and whatever the other one was in you and not in our wealth, not in our craving for wealth, but may we find rest and peace in you because we have such a strong, powerful, intimate relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dismiss us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.